about it, but um, I, um, if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's, I believe, the final chapter in 3, 8, 9, and 10 that deal with the Christian idea of liberty. Now, I want to illustrate. I think I have my mic on here. Um, I don't have the greatest of ledge. When you and I think of a ledge, we think of something narrow, okay? But um, this platform can resemble the ledge today. And this is not the idea of the bedrock of truth. In other words, when Paul writes about liberty, he's writing about those areas we call gray. In Romans 14, they're called doubtful disputations. And you remember, and men, why don't you come up here a minute with me? So this ledge represents the liberties we have in Christ Jesus. And you remember in chapter 8, Paul was addressing a problem that the Corinthians had written to him about meat offered to idols. And there were some that said, oh, that would be sinful and wrong. I would never do that. Others said, an idol is nothing. It's no big deal. It's good meat. It's good to buy. You can get it cheap at the meat market. I'm going to eat it. And they were seeing the whole thing differently. Okay? And you remember that Paul says in the last verse, If meat make my brother to offend, I'll eat no meat while the world standeth. In other words, I'm here on this ledge. And I have knowledge that I can eat meat offered to idols. And let's say here are two other Christians, and they are. I love that song, by the way. Um, and there, we're all accountable to one another. Are we our brother's keeper? Yes. yes, we are. And so the Bible makes it clear that I don't sit here and say, I can eat meat offered to idols. It is nothing. It's no big deal. It's not going to send me to hell. It's, it's A-OK. But they might feel like, oh, and I might cause them. And you remember the word in chapter 8? Stumbling block. I could become a stumbling block to them. And typically, what we're saying is, you know, if I'm back here, I'm likely not going to fall off that edge. However, if I am right up here, got my feet over the edge, greater chance of falling. Would you agree? Absolutely a greater chance of falling. And the closer I get, I could be bringing them to that ledge that they could fall. Then you remember in chapter 10, just a couple more minutes. You're doing great. This is easy, isn't it? <laughs> um, in chapter 9, excuse me. Paul changes it to a more personal note because they had written to him. And there were those that say, Paul is no apostle. We're not going to support that guy. We're not going to give him anything. We've got Apollos now or we've got whatever ministering to the church at Corinth. Paul is a long ways away. We don't care about him. And Paul in chapter 9 says, am I not an apostle? In other words... 
Yes, I've seen the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. I am walking and living for him. And he says, should you, as a church in Corinth, be supporting me, the founding pastor of the church? And the answer is yes. But remember what Paul says? says, I am not going to take anything that is yours. Because I don't want the gospel to be hindered in any way. So chapter 8 and chapter 9 is talking about this ledge of liberty as it relates to other believers. Not doing anything that would cause a stumbling block. And I want to remind you, meat offered idols is not an issue today. But there are a hundred other things that are replacing that in the Christian community today. And you and I can be stumbling blocks by demanding our liberty and saying, hey, I can live here. It's no big deal. Not thinking about others. Thank you, guys. That brings us to chapter 10. And um, chapter 10 is the same idea except... This time, Paul is reminding the Corinthians, yes, you need to be concerned about not being a stumbling block to others. But are you aware, Corinthians, you could be a stumbling block to yourself? Look with me at the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He begins by rehearsing the children of Israel's journey from Egypt. Notice, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. The first thing I want you to see that I believe Paul is addressing is what I would call liberty and its privileges. Liberty and its privileges. Did you notice in this first few verses of chapter 10, Paul's rehearsing the way God or the liberty of God's guidance. The cloud. Remember the cloud? It led them by day. At night it was a pillar of fire, but during the day it was a cloud, and they followed the clouds. We're not talking about astrologers and, and uh, earth worshipers or anything. We're talking about people that God was loving and wanting to get out of that bondage and direct them to the promised land. Aren't you grateful for the privilege that you and I have of God's guidance? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not to thine own understanding, and he shall direct thy paths. God was saying back then and now to the Corinthians and now to us, we have a great liberty and privilege to have God's guidance in our lives. Notice also... It talks about passing through the sea. 
That speaks of the salvation. Not ultimate salvation, but the way God protects us and cares for us. Aren't you glad for God's provision and safety? I won't do it, but I've always wondered in a body of believers like this, how many car accidents have been accumulated by the whole lot of us and uh, what God has done to bring us safely through. That's just one little example. The third thing that's always interesting, people kind of want to argue about this one, but it says um, in verse... um, Two, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. I remind you that baptism simply is a act of identification. We're identifying with Christ Jesus when we have baptism here. And he's saying you, they identified with Moses. Moses was the chosen leader to bring them out. And you were part of that deliverance, you identified with Moses and you stuck with him. The last thing speaks about rocks is look with me um, at verse 4. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now it's obviously he was speaking about the rock that Um, brought forth water that supplied the children of Israel with that nourishment that was necessary and needed. But I find it interesting that that rock was not just any old rock. It was a rock that the Lord Jesus Christ provided for them, and he was there in their midst helping them, even back in the Old Testament. In fact, I read something interesting. Not in the Bible, but in Jewish literature, there is a legend that the Jews, after this, as they traveled from place to place, would take a rock, a small rock, they would tie a rope around it, and they would pull it wherever they were going to remind them of this rock that had supplied the water that God had done for them. Now, the only problem is when you look at the word rock in verse 4 and you check it out in the Greek, it means a huge cliff type rock. You ever been out to Colorado and they have a landslide and rocks come down bigger than cars and trucks? That's the kind of rock that's being spoken of here. You know what that means? Christ is that big rock. He is the one. That is needed. And they didn't need to pull a little rock. Might have reminded them of it. But the thing they missed was the greatness and the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. They had all kinds of privileges. That ledge of liberty was big for them. But notice what happens in verse 5. But with many of them... God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 
Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things that he just listed happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, you and me, and the Corinthians back then, upon whom the ends of the world are come, and then our pivotal verse, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. They had great privileges as God's chosen people, just as you and I do. God has given us great liberty to live the Christian life. And he's already reminded them, don't abuse that liberty by thinking about yourself. Think about everybody else that's a Christian and what your choices, what you're doing, how you're living, how you're dressing, what music you're listening to, what entertainment you're going after, what that might do to cause another brother or sister in Christ to fall backward into sin. that right? We have that responsibility. That's what you call brotherly love. That's what you call loving someone and acknowledging that we impact one another by what we do, what we say, what we think, how important it is. But now the Holy Spirit is saying to the Corinthians, but You know what? Their liberties turned into ledges that caused many to fall by the wayside. The implication is not lose salvation, but lose their fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice he gives a list here. And I want to take a minute or two or three or five or whatever how pastors talk that way. Um, but I want us to think about the list that's given here. How did these Corinthians end up having such a disastrous church just years after Paul had been there and won them to Christ and got them started in their walk with God? And everything we read in 1 Corinthians is what? Carnal, 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 carnal. Would you agree? We haven't even gone through the whole book yet. But it's what it's all about. We're going to see next week in 1 Corinthians 11, they were carnal at the Lord's Supper. How could that be? Because there are great dangers living on the ledge of liberty. And he points out some of those dangers right here. Notice, he says, first of all, they lusted after evil things. That's kind of a big picture. Uh, Lust is an extreme, typically wrong desire. But you know what the context here in verse 6 is numbers 
chapter 11. Now, I'm not going to have you turn to all these Old Testament passages, but if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down and look at it. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, it talks about the children of Israel lusting after, and listen to the lust, fish, cucumbers. I have never even come close to lusting after cucumbers. You may laugh, you probably feel the same way. But this is what the Bible calls it. Fish, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Now how could that be an area of lust? Do you remember where they were when they expressed their lust? Yeah, they were in the middle of the wilderness. Was there any fish? No. Any cucumbers, onions, leeks, garlic? Zero. Not to be found. Not to be planted and grown. Not going to happen. So what did God do? He supplied food, didn't he? They lived, many of them. And um, he provided manna in the wilderness. But you know what? They didn't want the simple things that God supplied. They were lusting after their appetites. Can I remind you what the Bible says? All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's not of the Father, that's of the world. Isn't it amazing how Christians can lust and desire over things that we should be praising and thanking God for? You ever um, come to the supper table and your wife or your mother puts something on the table and you're envisioning something else going to be there? You know, you really have a craving, maybe you even smelled it during the day. And you just are anticipating one of your favorite things. And instead of it being your favorite thing, it's one of your least favorite. Hey, I'm talking to you and me. Can you express lust? Sit around pouting at the table the whole, whole supper time. Disgusted because you didn't get what you wanted. That's exactly why that ledge can be so dangerous. It doesn't take big things to knock you off the ledge. Here they were. God tells about it in the Old Testament. And here he is using it as an example to the Corinthians and to us about how sinful and terrible that is to God and how that can have us drop right off the edge. Because they lusted after basic, I wrote down these things. Um, they, they lusted after the simple necessities of life, except they really didn't lust after the necessities. They lusted after what they wanted to be their necessities, their fish and leeks and onions and garlic. And God supplied manna. And they didn't like it. 
And because of it, many fell off the ledge. Notice the next one, and this is a biggie in this list. It says in verse 9, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 7, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. If you check that Old Testament story, that comes from Exodus chapter 32 throughout that chapter. And you remember that was the account of Moses being told by God to go up to the mount because God was going to write on the tablets of stone the commandments that they needed to live by. So Moses and Aaron, you know the story well. What did they do? They go up. What did God do? Wrote it all out. Tables of stone. Moses and Aaron are coming down. They're a distance from the camp. And what happens? They hear noise. Aaron said, oh, there's a war going on. Moses said, no, that's not the noise of war. That's the noise of idolatry. So they get there and what do they find? They had done, actually it wasn't Moses and Aaron that went up. Aaron was down with Miriam. Sorry about that. Um, It was just Moses that went up to the uh, mount. And so he comes back and there's Aaron and Miriam leading the children of Israel in what? Idolatry. Doing all kinds of wrong things. And I think it's interesting that it says, rose up to play. Rose up to play. You know, um, idolatry is many times associated with our play. Is it not? What we like to do And if we're not careful, we can come out to the edge and that playful thing, that thing we like, that hobby, whatever it might be, can become a stumbling block to ourselves, and we be consumed by what we're focused on. Am I right? It's exactly what happens. That's why the ledge of liberty is a dangerous place if we're not careful, if we're not careful. They were dancing. They were doing all kinds of things when, it, when Moses came back. And God was, and Moses was, very displeased. Idolatry. Is there anything going on in your life that is taking you away from putting Jesus Christ first and foremost? I'm not talking about daily living and men you work and ladies some here work. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what's going on on the inside. In fact, I thought thought this was interesting. Don't turn there, but in Ezekiel chapter 14, listen to what the Bible says. These men have set up their idols in their heart. And put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. 
That says to me that idolatry is far more than some object, some game, some hobby that we do with our hands. It's really a hard issue, isn't it? That's why all you got to do is get up on the ledge and let your heart start idolizing something that's contrary to the word, that's not Christ-focused, and it'll suck you right to the edge, and before you know it, splat. Sin happens. The ledge of liberty is a dangerous place. But I noted this. Didn't just stop with lusting and with idolatry. Notice verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day. Three and twenty thousand. That's from Numbers chapter 25. Excuse me, 25. And if you remember there, in that account in the Old Testament that is being rehearsed here, is that the children of Israel were committing whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And it came to a crisis when, if you remember what happened, um, an Israeli man went out and took a Midianite woman and brought her into the camp of Israel. And the high priest was Levi and he had a son named Phineas. And you remember when Phineas saw what that man was doing and how it so displeased God. It says he took a javelin. He went in and he killed both the man and the woman. But listen to what the Bible says. So the plague was stayed or stopped from the children of Israel. Those that died in the plague were 23 Does that make it sound like living on the ledge can be a serious issue? We're not talking about here falling asleep overnight. We're talking about physical death. Dying because of the privileges they had, not recognizing the dangers of idolatry of lusting those fornication here sexual thing one more thing one more thing I see here look with me um, verse 9 and 10 neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents neither excuse me murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. The word tempt, as you know in Scripture, God never what tempts us, but He does bring along tests for us. I heard a cute story about two boys, and they were typical young boys, and they got to be bragging about what they could do. And the one boy says, well, my dad and I can answer any difficult question you have. And the other little boy says, well, I got a question for you. And he asks him a question. And the little boy says, yep, that one's for my dad. 
Aren't you glad we have a dad named God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Here they are. Failing the tests that God had given them. This particular one deals with that rock. Deals with that no water problem in Exodus 17. And you remember what it says? Listen to this. It says, the people did chide, C-H-I-D-E, with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? Can you see that this liberty issue is such a dangerous thing? Not because only... You and I can impact another brother or sister in Christ and make them make sinful choices. But we ourselves can come right up to the edge thinking we're okay. That's why verse 12, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Lest he fall. And the unfortunate part of all this, we sit here. And we don't exactly relate to meat offered idols. We don't relate to water coming out of rocks. But you know what, folks? When you and I think about fornication and how that problem is rampant in our country and rampant in the church, we better be careful. Tempting God, complaining, chiding, murmuring, complaining. Griping, grumping, being grumpy, excuse me. You realize how that impacts? You say, well, pastor, I'm just by nature a negative person. That's why you need Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I don't have to be grumpy and negative all the time. I remember some years back family left our church. And people usually don't leave over one reason, but one of the reasons they shared with me, because I'm always concerned when somebody leaves, did we do something to offend them? What could we do? How could we be a help? And one of the things that this family said was they had heard some people in our church, members in our church, walking in the hallway Negative about little things. Don't like the way this is set up. Don't like the color of that. Don't care for this. Don't care for that. And they overheard it. These people didn't know that these, this family overheard it. But it was kind of like the um, straw that broke the camel's back for this family. And they used that as a reason to move on. Stumbling block? Yep. Big time. But I'll tell you something else. Negative people are living on the edge of their liberties. And be careful. Because what you think negatively about 
The more you think about it, the more it will turn your heart away from spiritual things. Why does Philippians say, what sort of things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, what? Think on those things. Because what you think about will be what you become. No? Come on, folks. Not too hard. Paul is writing here to the Corinthians. But he's writing to us. He's saying, hey, this liberty thing is a big deal. You've got to live as a church. That's why I titled this series over these months, Living as a Church. Because you and I can very easily think we are standing when we're on the verge of falling. What a terrible thing to test God. Basically, what is it saying? I don't believe you can do this, God. Show yourself, God. Prove it to me. God doesn't have to prove anything. He's been faithful. We're going to have to finish uh, tonight, but I want to say one more thing. Look at verses 11 through 13. And actually 11 and 12. He says, now all these things happened unto them, the children of Israel, for examples. And they are written for our admonition, that is instruction, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Or in other words, until the end of time, until the Lord comes back in the clouds, these truths are going to be for us to help us, whoever's around that's believers. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I wrote down these things, and I would like us to look at verse 13 tonight. But for sake of time, I wrote down two things. First of all, Paul is admonishing here us in this context, 8, 9, and 10, these three chapters, to be very vigilant and self-disciplined. Now, for this, I have to take you back to chapter 39. Remember, he uses the idea of the uh, Isthmian Games, and he says in verse, let's just do 27 of chapter 39, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means... When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Left behind. Abandoned. Lost a fellow. Paul is saying, listen. That ledge of liberty is where God has put you. Discipline your life to stay as far away from the edge as you can. It ought to be a great concern to us. If we're thinking more throughout the week, even more through the middle of a church service, about other things. You know, I had a um, family concerned 
about people in church, our church, using iPads, looking at other things during the preaching service than the Word of God. People notice. Careful of the edge. Careful of the ledge. And the list goes on and on and on. With how dangerous that ledge can be. There's great privilege on the ledge. God's making that clear here through his, through his book. But there's also great danger. The danger of how we impact others and the danger how we impact ourselves. And in both cases, we can be a stumbling block to others and to ourselves. Verse 13 is a message in and of itself. And we're going to look at that tonight. What a great verse. Way of escape. My challenge to us this morning is this. As you think about your liberties in Christ Jesus. If you think about those areas that are gray areas in the church today. Things that one Christian says it's okay to do and others say no. Think about others kind of love do you have for them. Think about yourself. Beware. Beware. Lest you think you're standing on solid ground and really you're on the edge. You know, it's been amazing to me <clears throat> to read all these stories, true stories about people out in the Grand Canyon. Have you heard about this? Phenomenal number. I forget. I, don't, I don't, didn't keep track of it, but I've heard of it twice and read it once. People getting right up to the edge of some great precipice, looking out over great vastness, taking their little selfie, falling off and dying. You know what they plan to do? They plan to show that selfie to all their friends. In fact, before they would have left the Grand Canyon, they would have put it on Facebook and off it had been. Instead, it's at the bottom, broken in a million pieces like their body. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 10. And if you're sitting here this morning thinking, never happened to me. You're the one I'm most concerned about today. Because I didn't say it, God did. Wherefore, let him, let her that thinketh they stand, take heed lest they fall. It's serious business. When you look at how many thousands of people died in the Old Testament because of these things, and I'm not talking about wicked people. I'm not talking about the Moabites and the Midianites and all the otherites there. I'm talking about God's people, the children of Israel. Let's finish with verse 13, but we'll look at it tonight. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able but will with the temptation 
also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. God doesn't want us to let temptation overtake us and destroy us. Would you this morning, my whole goal, my whole objective was to get us to think about that ledge of liberty and how we are living on that ledge. Are we concerned about other brothers and sisters in the Lord? Hey, adults, are we concerned about these teenagers that are sitting here? Loving them, not wanting to do anything that would cause them, because you know what happens. What parents and adults practice in moderation, the next generation practices in excess. Right? And how we need to be mindful of others. But then Paul comes to 1 Corinthians 10 and he says, Hey, listen, there's more to this liberty ledge question than just others. Although that's a big deal. What about yourself? How are you living? You're walking around saying, I can do whatever I want to do. Not going to bother me. I won't sin. That won't overtake me. I've been a Christian for 25 years. You know what God says? Big deal. It is a big deal that you've been saved 25 years, but it's not a big deal that you're not free from sinful temptations and falling off the edge and destroying your life. What do you put on social media? How do you identify yourself? I don't have a Facebook account but or any other account, but I understand that you're supposed to put your, is it profile, is that what they call it? You're supposed to put your profile on there? You know what your profile says? It says a whole lot. Who are you idolizing? Right? No, it's just a profile. It's be careful. You may think you stand, but be careful lest ye fall. That's what Paul is trying to encourage these Corinthians. If you're going to live as a church... We've been living as a church for a good many years. There's not one year that there isn't a ton of gray areas that come up. Things that Christians can disagree about. But God would say, love others and give up your liberty. And love yourself and don't live by the edge. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank